0: Well, hello, this is Dr. Cheryl Fraser, and welcome back to Sex, Love, and Elephants. And thank you for the feedback on last week's elephant episode, where I spoke about birthday presents and the power of silence, given that I had just come out of a one-month silent solo meditation retreat. For today's episode, given the feedback and the interest in this topic, what I'm offering you is a talk I gave yesterday, uh, Saturday, be two days ago by the time you hear this, to my own group, Island Dharma, here on Vancouver Island, where I'm the Buddhist teacher. And this continues on the themes of presence, of how to celebrate our birthday. You'll hear me teasing one of my uh, students and friends whose birthday it was in this class. And we were going to have cake after class. That's why I keep referring to cake (laughs) through this particular teaching. And we talk about how would we live if we knew our time was limited. And I make the point, it's hardly unique to me. It's just simply reality that all of us have an expiration date. We don't know how long we're here. And we played with this idea of celebrating our, wow, I'm one year closer to death day. And that that isn't depressing if we take that as a call to action, if we take that as inspiration to really live life fully, to tilt our lives to doing more of that which deeply matters to us and less of the things that are more trivial or distracting or not important or don't feed our soul that don't feed our elephant. So I'll let this talk speak for itself. I hope you enjoy it. The audio won't be quite as crisp because of course it was recorded on a camera for a YouTube streaming link from the class when I taught it yesterday live. And I hope if you're interested in that, you're welcome to click below this episode in the notes and you can actually watch the YouTube recording if you find that, if you like a visual, if you want to see me sitting there teaching people meditation. In the beginning of this class, I speak for about five, six minutes, and then we did a 10 minute solo meditation, silent meditation. We've edited that out of this episode, but feel free to pause the recording of this podcast at that time and do a 10 minute or longer meditation using the instruction I've given and then move into the talk. I hope to meet some of you in person one day if you make it to our beautiful Vancouver Island and are able to come to one of our meditation retreats that I teach or one of our classes that I teach. But I'm so happy that you are able to hear these teachings in this format and I hope it is of great value to you and to all beings. I'll be back with you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. So we'll begin this morning with a short meditation, just about 10 minutes to begin as, a, as an uh, an experience of settling into presence, meaning what's actually happening right now. The mind probably isn't in this room fully uh, in that you're quite likely thinking about things or maybe a bit of a rush to get here or that you're glad to be here or that you're puzzling at the moment why you're here, you thought the cake was first, you know, whatever But the mind tends to be in the future. Anybody else salivating now? I'll stop mentioning cake. Uh, the mind tends to be in the future or in the past. And arguably, we spend very little time fully experiencing whatever's going on, whether that's an argument with a co-worker, whether that's taking a, a spoonful of soup, whether it's uh, watching a television program, um, writing a letter, typing a letter to a friend. How present are we? Are we really living our life? Or are we, as we say, phoning it in, kind of skating through life on our way to the next thing? And one of the ways to explore this is in the practice of meditation, multiple different forms of meditation, we practice which means you're probably not going to be an expert in the beginning, the middle, or the end, and that's okay. You're going to keep practicing. We practice trying, attempting, exploring, actually experiencing whatever's actually happening. Ah, there's a soreness in the knee is actually experiencing perhaps in this moment. Ah, the heart feels open and kind of happy to be here. Might be actually experiencing in this moment, the mind keeps worrying about that thing I've got to do later today that I'm concerned about. Well, that's not, the worry is actually happening in this moment, correct? But the thing you need to do later is not. So we practice, we explore what is actually happening And a phrase that is often used in the teaching of meditation and the study of the Dharma is the direct experience. So what is being directly experienced right now? Now let's do a little experiment. I want you to take one hand and I want you to just rub the other hand or elbow or arm. And close your eyes for a second and really focus on that experience. You can slow down the rubbing if you like. and Just for 30 seconds, how tightly can you concentrate on the direct experience of one hand or one fingertips touching the other hand or arm. Great. Great. This is an exceptionally simple way to come into direct presence is through the body. Because as I'm fond of saying, many of you have heard it many times, the body is always present, right? Our body is in the chair or on the cushion, here, in this moment, in this room, in the Rotary Centre, in the British Columbia. The mind is quite likely not fully here. Or it's here, it skips into the future. It's here, it skips back to the past. To arguably pointlessly think about something that no longer exists. The caveat, though, because you're all very wise, sometimes there is a point to thinking about things from the past so we can reflect on them, learn from them, Maybe celebrate them. That was such a lovely time with my grandma. Uh, Maybe learn to do better. That was really not a very skillful thing I did, and I can do better now. That kind of thinking of the past can be fruitful and wholesome and useful. But I'd like us to think about how much of our rumination about past things is wholesome, right? Flipping that question on its ear. How much of our thinking about the past is unwholesome? probably more than is wholesome. So you might want to take on as a challenge, as a study, to notice when we're thinking about things from the past, is this wholesome? Is it unwholesome? If it's unwholesome, can we work? Can we play? Can we explore to let it go and come back to where? Direct experience. I've given you a clue, but I want to make it explicit. If you find yourself in the past, in worry or something unproductive, do this: spend ten seconds, close your eyes—not if you're driving, obviously—and experience the direct experience of now. You can even pinch yourself kindly, like now, tap. Sometimes with uh, patients who are in distress in a panic attack, depending on the circumstance, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, multiple factors, I might at times say, just feel your body you're here now, you're safe now, you're in this room now, you're not in the car wreck right? from last year. Come back to now. Hmm, it's got a mini teaching before the sit. Now let's sit in presence as best you're able. You might in this, say, 10-ish minutes <clears throat> have Nine seconds of presence. That's terrific. That's great. Especially if you're wise enough to feel the difference. Feel ah, the past and the future or let go of for a few seconds. And there's just feeling your butt in the chair. Maybe hearing the crack of the bat come and go. Noticing other sounds. Maybe notice a tickling feeling as your hair brushes your neck. That's all happening in your direct experience right now. And in this meditation, are we ever going to get there, Cheryl? Yes, we are. I'm not going to give you any specific instructions other than explore direct experience for this meditation. If you have a breath practice you find useful, you can pay attention to the breath and allow other direct experiences to be noticed or not. If you have an open awareness practice, fine. If you don't have a clue and it's your first time, Sit with your eyes closed in a relatively upright posture, but not ramrod straight, creating a bunch of tension. And just really try to notice the direct experience of what's actually happening in your body, in the sounds around us, in the temperature, in the cues your skin's picking up. Sounds, sights with your eyes open or your eyes closed, there's still movement of shadows and light. Sounds, sights, touch, any body sensations smell and taste, and then the biggie for a lot of us, the mind. What you may notice is in my direct experience, the mind is super worried about tomorrow. Okay. Try to bring it to the direct experience of there is worry present, which is pulling yourself back from tomorrow into in this direct experience, the mind is currently creating worry. May or may not go away. Direct experience was actually happening right now presence and without more words we'll practice that just for a short meditation which I will end with a ring of the bell and I invite you to now notice do a little self-assessment Simply noticing what was the experience or the experiences during that short period of meditation. Don't overthink it, just, oh, there was a lot of restlessness that was difficult to be present or it's fairly easy to be present part of the time, but then the mind tended to get sleepy or I'm not really sure. Uh, It's fine. It's very fine. It's very helpful to do a very brief review. Take less than a minute of the experience of that meditation and then finish and then move on. This is something one of my root teachers was very, very fierce about, Namjur Rinpoche. You know, do a brief review, brief review. i just kind of plop down, meditate, and carry on. <laughs> meditate, brief review, move on. It's helping you educate the mind, know your experience, and have a better sense of your experience of, in this case today, what I am calling presence. Now, it has probably not escaped your attention. There's a happy birthday balloon, next to our uh, other fearless leader in the back. Uh, it's Neil's birthday this Monday, which was when we had originally planned to meet. Uh, my schedule changed and we ended up choosing today. But I've been thinking a lot about birthdays. I had a birthday myself 10 days or so ago when I was in uh, the midst of a month of silent solo meditation retreat with the guidance of my teacher over on Galliano Island. And uh, on March 29th, which was my day of birth, Uh, I was alone in a cabin where I'd been for um, almost four weeks at that point. Well, uh, full disclosure, not entirely alone. I did take my 17-year-old old old dog with me because she's no trouble on retreat anymore. She just snoozes by my feet all day. And she doesn't bark because she's deaf. She can't hear the deer go by. So she's a very good meditation companion now. (laughs) So there I was, Uh, it was a Tuesday, and I woke up, I did some practice and some meditation, some mantra I was working with, some other things, and then at some point I I invited the old girl who would much rather have stayed in her comfy basket by the fire, by the way. Come on, we're going to go for a walk. Oh, here we go. Okay, she gets going. We went for a lovely walk down the lane, this is on the north end of Galliano Island. Rainy, cloudy day, pleasant and then along the, the, the road, it's a not very busy road. It's a dead-end road at the north end of Galliano Island. Maybe one car went by. But the road goes by a pond, which, of course, is particularly swollen right now, partly because the beavers dam it and partly because of the amount of rain. And the Canada ge- geese were coming home. So there was about, I'd say, eight pairs of Canada geese on the pond, lots of ducks, occasionally some bald eagles, and the frog. The singing tree frogs. Any of you live in parts of uh, the area where you hear that a lot? It depends where we are. Or you might go hiking this time of year on a trail. And you come around a corner and suddenly it's like this cacophony of rather melodic, beautiful tree frog sound. So it was a really lovely walk. What made it lovely? Was it because it was my nominal birthday? Was it because there were intriguing, beautiful acts of nature like singing tree frogs and honking Canada geese? Well, those things are often around us, right? Look, look, out, look out the windows right now. Uh, here we are and it's gloriously sunny. We haven't had much sun and blue sky. There's really almost emerald green grass this time of year, trees. It's really beautiful. You might see a bird or even a hawk go by. What makes it special? The hawk? The hue of the greenness of the grass right now? No. What makes anything special, a kiss, a taste of birthday cake, a breath, a thought, a moment, is when we're present in it. You can hear the play on words coming. Birthday presents. But this is a really beautiful thing to think about. And I had all too much time to think (laughs) in a month alone with my head in a cabin. A month is a short one for me, but it was really nice to get a month. It's been a long time since I've managed three or four, hopefully next year. And I did some contemplation on, you know, what it is to be a year older. And I was aided in this contemplation by the text we were studying, where uh, we were doing some very classic um, Buddhist texts, uh, reading it, uh, delving into it. And there's a lot of teaching in the kind of preliminary setting you up to understand why Dharma is important, how to suffer less, how to work with your mind. There's a lot of emphasis on, you're going to die there's a lot of emphasis on it. We are mortal. We're all going to die. It can seem quite depressing if you don't approach it with the right mind. It can seem quite sobering. We don't really like to think about our death. We call it our birthday. Well, in my case, my birthday was 58 years ago. Neil, how long ago was yours? 43 years ago. 43 years ago. It's not our birthday. That was 43 or 58 years ago or so on. Who else here had a birthday in March or April? Hands, please. Anybody? Look at us. It's just us. We're so special, Neil. (laughs) I think we should call it our closer to death day. I actually really think we should, because this is a beautiful way. Bear with me here. Don't leave the room. I'm out of here. This is the worst talk ever. (laughs) We thought we were coming for cake and Dharma. We're talking about one day closer to death day. Yes, because this is literally what it is. So I thought of my one year closer to death day. This is a classic teaching from some of the texts, is to contemplate every day. You're not going to want to do this one. Blood, bones, blood, bones, this too will die. You're meant to contemplate that all day long, (laughs) right? But what would it be if you did for a day? I did. What would it be if you did for a week, a month, really wrapped your head around what we all know? None of us are in a psychotic delusion at this time. Well, we all are all the time, but we'll leave that for another class. We're aware we're not going to live forever, right? Right? We're aware that in, say, 50 to 100 years, all of the people in this room will be dead. You'll be cremated or buried or whatever you'll be. We we get it. Many of us have deaths or dyings happening in our small circle right now. People we love that are in the process of dying have died either suddenly or after illness this year, in the past days, in the past months. We know sometimes it's not the two-legged, it's the 4 leggeds because they tend to come and go more quickly. 10, 15 years, we go through it. We know we're going to die. But what would it be if we lived more often? I'm not expecting us, because I'm certainly not there yet either, to live with presence every moment. I'm not yet able to enjoy all of the ups and downs richly knowing my time on this planet is limited. As the Buddhist and anyone sensible says, <laughs> death is certain. Only the time is uncertain. It might be today on the way home. Any of us could be, uh, you know, hit hit by a train. I know two people, or I know people whose brothers or someone they know, two people in my small world who literally were killed crossing train tracks. And I don't know that many people. Not to mention car accidents, etc. I know. Now, it's a good thing there's cake or they would not stay, Neil. See how crafty I am? You see? You see? One year closer to death day. Thank you very much. I will accept your congratulations on my one year closer to death day. It's marvelous. Neil, happy one year closer to death day, my friend. I love you. May you awaken swiftly because you're one year closer to death, my friend. But what does that mean? It means, what are we wasting time on that we can let go of? What crappy nonsense are we wasting time on that we can let go of? Because we have limited minutes, hours, weeks, months, and years. And we don't know how limited they are. What can we reduce? Here's your challenge. This is homework. I want you to do it. I want you to report back to me. What is at least one small thing you waste time on that you could do a little less of. How's that? Right? That's really attainable. I got into a habit in the last two years, I'm sure none of you did, of watching too much TV. Hmm? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, my friend. At least someone's uh, on the pain train with me saying, yeah, be too sure. For all the reasons we don't need to go into, our other distractions weren't as available. Right. I worked uh, a little too hard in the last 24 months building an aspect of my business that took a lot of time. It was great. It was positive. It was beautiful work, but there was too much of it. I was pretty tired. And when you're tired, it's pretty easy to relax and watch and be entertained. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. It can be a very wholesome thing to do, sometimes to let the mind relax, to enjoy something, to rest the mind and body, and then you know refill uh, to move forward. But as I was contemplating on my I'm one year closer to death day, Cheryl, what are some things I feel it would be wholesome, skillful, and, and, and enriching to do less of, to not spend as many of my precious remaining minutes on, So I made a few commitments to myself to reduce a few things and to increase some things. One of which is, boy, oh boy, I'd like to be able to teach more classes with Island Dharma. Boy, oh boy, I'd like to spend more time with the students uh, to uh, start again. Yay! Thank you! (laughs) It was very strong circumstances all the things doesn't matter it's in the past but now we can meet more often more regularly in person and more safely as things go that may adjust we may need to go back online for safety if so we will do that but what what i mean to cut to the chase what are the most important things for each of us in our lives if Suddenly we were told, each and every one of us in this room, anyone watching this live or later, anyone hearing this, what if today you were given a diagnosis of a a brand new illness that will be absolutely no symptoms, you're going to feel completely fine and normal and in fact better than you've been feeling for the next year and then you're going to suddenly die painlessly. And so this is our now truth for the next few minutes. Each and every one of us here watching, listening, hearing this, we have one year from today, to live, and then we're going to die peacefully and instantly. What might we do differently? What might we choose to do less of? What might we choose to do more of? And I want you to take that on. Ideally, write about it. Grab a piece of paper when you get home or this week, when you're listening to this, when you're watching this, when you remember this, and sit down and title at the top, I've got one year to live. What, if anything, do I change? A few of you might not change a lot, and that's really interesting. That might mean you're fairly in alignment with the wholesome things, the loving things, the uh, pleasurable things, the things that fill you up. It also might mean other things. You need to look at that. Some of us might say, the core of the movement of my being, my elephant, is Kind of on track, but I'm not spending nearly enough time on that stuff. I'm uh, spending a lot more time and stuff now that I've only got 365 more days that I'd like to do more of. And we might make some shifts. And of course, you know where this is leading because you're all very clever. Why wait? Why wait? Let's act as though we have one year to live. Let's act as though we have one day to live more often. More often. And what would that look like? What I hope is it would look more like presence this form of birthday presents, right? With a CE, obviously. Where, let me give you some examples. I was talking about this yesterday and today uh, with Richard and with a friend. You know, how do we define presence? More importantly, how do we experience it? And I gave you a little hint just then about my I'm one year closer to death day a couple weeks ago, where I really had a walk and was walking. I really was noticing the temperature and the rain coming and going. I was, I was walking more slowly, partly out of meditation, but mostly because my dog is 17 and a half. So we walk a lot more slowly now, which is really good because it allows me to sometimes come up against impatience. Until a year ago, that dog and I were striders, right? Exercise walks, heart rate walks. And now it's like, da-da, da-da, bum, 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 bum. Sniff, 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 sniff just not quite yet. It's quite different. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) It did. (laughs) Yeah, I've been meditating for a month. (laughs) I'm pretty high. Um, Slow and really noticing the geese. Now I grew up uh, off Maple Bay Road on Vancouver Island. uh, We lived on Kwamichin Lake when I was a kid. Some of you know where that is. And there's a small little sort of island in the middle of Kwamechun Lake, which has always been designated in my lifetime as a bird sanctuary. You're not allowed to walk on it, it's more marsh than anything anyway. You're not allowed to take your little rowboat to it. So, so many Canada geese, herons and eagles were active and nesting and living and breeding and cycling on that lake. So I grew up with a dozen Canada geese pooping in our yard. And our white dog rolling in it. Our house often smelled like goose poop. It was just one of those things. But I don't know that I've looked as carefully at a Canada goose, despite being around them so much from the ages of probably about 8 to 18, as I did uh, last month. Because I had the time. I didn't have anywhere else to be, did I? I didn't have an agenda other than eventually have lunch later. I could actually notice the Canada goose. I could hear the honking. I could hear the differences in honking. I could play a game, which may or may not have been accurate, about what the different honks meant. The horny honk, the mating honk, versus the, ah, there's somebody coming and they seem to have a dog, let's keep an eye on it honk. And the first few days, when we were saying, about the distance from me to you, me to the window away, the little dog and I, Uh, the geese that were on the road right next to the pond, almost a lake, uh, would tend to honk and look and strut and posture, and then they would fly onto the lake. We we, we were a threat. They weren't quite sure, right? Day three, they'd honk and posture and not fly away. And we'd cross to the other side, and we'd walk by, and they'd keep a good beady eye on us, especially that small, scary-looking dog. Day six, (laughs) pfft. right? You know the Canada geese. If you've ever been down to English Bay in Vancouver, they own the joint. They're like walking across the street in Vancouver knowing everybody's going to stop and leave them alone. Fearless, bold, one might say a little arrogant. So I tell this because it's a simple example of an experience I know all of you have had in your own ways. You don't need to be in the midst of a one-month retreat or deeply contemplating death or the nature of reality or the fact that you're one year closer to death, Neil Uh, who simply might be playing with your grandchild or uh, holding the new baby or um, uh, playing with your pet. These are often places we drop into presence. That's why I bring them to mind. A natural place we often drop into presence, at least for a few moments, is with a child or or a pet. We kind of get out of our own busyness because this kid really wants us to play Candyland. And maybe we stop and we do. I know for endless moments. We play Candyland. And when we're at our best, which isn't all the time, we actually let go of our agenda and really play the game with the child. And then we might get restless and know we've got to put supper on. And then maybe we come back to presence for a few more moments. And maybe we don't. That's okay. I'm asking you to examine this to get curious, to look at where am I present. So sometimes with a child, sometimes with a pet, sometimes with a friend, particularly one you haven't had a chance to talk deeply to in a while and you're really enjoying the conversation and kind of uh, let go of time and go, oh my goodness, in an hour and a half, I've got to get going. That's a quality of presence. But I would put forward that for a lot of us, it can also happen in nature. It doesn't have to be out, you know, um, uh, black diamond hiking or kayaking like Blake does. That might well be it. It might simply be walking around your block and noticing the daffodils in your neighbor's yard, especially the first one that opens, right? The other ones are still budded. And that first one, that bold one, often doesn't go well for the first one, does it? (laughs) It opens, you're like, oh, yay. And then we get a bit of a frost and all the ones who didn't yet venture out are okay. But the one who took the straw is like... But noticing that first daffodil, or maybe, maybe already tulips. People seeing tulips yet? I haven't yet. But yeah, so some places tulips now. Those little purpley things, I don't know what they're called, the wild ones. I saw some of those. That can be a moment of presence. It can also be blowing by and noticing a bit of yellow in our periphery and not noticing, right? I do that too, goodness sakes. This isn't a beat yourself up session. It might be noticing the blur of yellow turning and going, oh, daffodil which might be a microsecond of presence, and then barreling on. That's okay, too. But what if you stopped for 30 seconds, like literally stopped? Eh, I didn't realize till this retreat how marvelous that whomever brought the daffodils, that we have daffodils. I didn't know they'd be here, but I wanted to tell you a daffodil story. I didn't notice until this retreat because I, I picked a single daffodil out of the uh, bulbs in the, the, the land around the cabin I was staying at. And I brought it in. I was doing a Chenrezig meditation with the six-petaled lotus in the heart, by the way, Neil. And it was the first time I noticed daffodils have six petals. I'd been meditating for days imagining a six-petaled lotus in my heart. And then when I brought one of these in, I thought, oh, because I'm not a very good visualizer actually so I then meditated with that daffodil right in front of me so it helped me picture and experience a six petaled flower that could be horizontal in your heart I've never noticed how many people have I'd asked you how many petals does a daffodil have would have said six nobody I thought there'd be a few clever uh gardeners look isn't that funny how many da- how many of you have seen daffodils before Right. <laughs> right. How many of you enjoyed them, picked them, had them on your table? Re- like I, a lot of us find daffodils a very cheerful, lovely, bright flower. I didn't know it had six petals because I'd never really looked at one with presents before. I'd enjoyed them, I'd appreciated them. They'd given pleasure, I'd taken pleasure. But something that simple, I think that was my birthday. I think I picked myself a daffodil on my birthday. I went, oh, this has six petals. <laughs> So it's that simple. And I was saying sometimes nature, often nature, or beauty, might be art, might be a painting for you. We've got artists in the room, George and others, where it's, you see something you've created or someone else has created or nature's created, and it just stops you for a few moments. Wow, look at the colors. That evokes a mood for me. Presence. Might be music. Hmm? Music, hearing something, humming something. Uh, I, and I'm sure many of us, I'm sure Neil, I know he's a big music fan, puts on dances, et cetera, is music can just stop my mind and have me show up sometimes. And joy, you know, dancing, feeling the music, etc. Working, cutting hair, paying attention. Richard was talking about doing an intricate piece of woodworking and how it really fell into presence particularly because that piece of woodworking, he's given me permission to share this story. He was creating a frame for a painting. This painting was gifted to my dad by a dear friend of his, who's an artist. And she had, uh, for his birthday, for his 80th birthday last year, she'd painted a little scene of of, uh, a valley and the back of um, a Prevost mountain off Salmonos Road in Duncan. George knows this, the rest you probably don't. Um, but that's where my dad grew up. That's where his parents homesteaded 80 years ago. And somehow his friend had found an old photograph of their first cottage, uh, the valley, the pond, and the mountain behind. And she'd done a painting of it. So it was tremendously meaningful to my dad. It brought back memories of his, his beloved parents and his childhood and you know, being a rogue racing around in was getting into trouble and all of it. And so we, he had asked Richard, my husband, he'd said, uh, would you mind uh, doing a frame for this painting? It was on canvas, and it wasn't framed. Richard said, sure. So as we were talking about presence and times maybe in our workplace or our craft place where we fall into present, Richard uh, was saying, um, creating that frame, a beautiful, simple wooden frame for that painting, he said uh, there was a bit of a trick getting the, what are they called, the 45-degree angles? The miters. The miters. There was a bit of a trick getting the miters to meet up And he was talking about how he really slowed down and he so enjoyed solving the problem and everything else melted away, just the frame. And when we were exploring the quality of what helps us be present in our work, in a conversation with a friend, anytime with a flower, uh, one of the things he said was, well, it was partly because I was creating something for someone I love." This frame mattered. It was for your dad, who I love. It was to go with this beautiful memory that I loved, And that reminded me of something I was taught by my friend Edward, who died, uh, gosh, some years ago now. He actually passed away while I was teaching Dharma one evening here. Some of you might have been. I left the class and found out he passed away. We were expecting him to. But Edward was a writer. He was a travel writer. And he would explore the world and he would capture experience in the most eloquent and beautiful ways. I'll see if I can link to um, his article about Venice and uh, ask Neil to put it in the next newsletter because this story was about Venice. And I had the pleasure to travel to Venice with him for a two-week trip there, all paid for by National Geographic, so it didn't cost me a dime. Get a travel writer as a friend, highly recommended. Anyway, there we were in Venice. And this story, as many, don't make me look particularly good, but I'm willing to do that for your edification. Uh, we were enjoying Venice. If you've ever been there, it's a very ornate, beautiful, incredible city. Let's all go. And there's a lot of churches, okay, people? There's a lot of churches, and they're each one's more beautiful than the last, ornate, gilded, gold, woodworking, incredible paintings. But there's a lot of churches. <laughs> and unlike my dear companion, who was seeing everything with fresh eyes, I'm like, oh, another church (laughs) with lots of gilded stuff that's really beautiful, and wow, this is another church. And I said something not particularly disparaging, just like, yeah, it's really nice. And then Edward shared something with me that was so helpful, and I I still remember it a decade or more later, 15 years later. He said, you know, I want you to think of it this way, Cheryl. He said, look at each bit of woodwork, each bit of gold leaf, each bit of painting, each pew. Some of these, of course, built 200, 400, 600, 800, maybe 1,200 years ago. He said, think of each and every craftsman, because it would have been men back then, not women. They were doing their utmost beauty for God. They were doing their most careful and beautiful and meticulous work as an offering to God. And that stopped me and set me back on my heels. And I re-looked at presence right? Each bit, I imagined this person 200, 600 years ago, having the privilege to create, to, to edify, to worship, to be in presence of God in that case. Absolute presence offering from compassion. And I started looking at the next church with new eyes, imagining that. It's the gift of presence like, Richard making a frame for someone he loved. Uh, My mom making a cake today. Let me tell you about that. So originally, when I said I could teach Monday the 11th, Neil made a joke and said, oh, great, it's my birthday. And I said, great, you get extra Dharma points. Let's have cake. And then uh, I went away for a month and uh, my plans changed and I need to be elsewhere Monday night. So here we are today, which is gorgeous because we're in the sunshine instead of the dark. And I thought, oh, I know. I'm going to order a cake to bring because I offered to bring the cake uh, from a bakery I like in Duncan, an organic bakery that's really nummy. And so I visited with my mom on Wednesday. I just got home uh, a few days ago and hadn't seen her in five weeks. She said, oh, what are you up to? And I said, this and that. And the other said, oh, Saturday, Dharma, I'm going to take a cake. Neil's birthday. And my mom knows Neil. They met a few times and at our wedding in Mexico. And she said, oh. And we chatted about other things. And then she said, you know, how about I make a cake? I said, that would be great if you don't mind. She says, no, I think that would be good. She says, I like Neil. It'd be nice to do. Give me kind of a project. So as Richard and I talked about that on the way here, for me to have ordered a cake from uh, my favorite bakery and picked it up, that's one type of thoughtfulness or, 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 or time one takes. But instead, you're going to see a cake that was specifically made for Neil, thinking of who Neil is, uh, a little extra effort was made for this cake, and it was baked in a state, I hope, partly, maybe all the time, of presence, of loving kindness, of enjoying creating something to give. Yeah? To give to Neil, and to know some other students might enjoy it. And so all of these examples, me being taught to look at the next church with fresh eyes, me noticing and being able to share with all of you and all of us going, no, we didn't know daffodils had six petals because we uh, didn't stop with presence and look. And that's not a bad thing. It's very important you not hear uh, recrimination. Oh, why have I never looked at a daffodil? Because we're busy, because we have patterns, because we're trained, because our minds are used to running down set sets of stairs, and we often miss the alternate path. That's okay. Part of dharma, part of meditation is slowing down and looking in a new way so we can notice all the marvels that are available to us. I want you all to find a daffodil today and go commune with it. If it's on someone's land, don't pick it. If it's on the roadway and it's public property, pick one maybe. Don't be greedy and take it home and commune with it or just stay and commune with it in its natural state. If you're not sure you can find one, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six here. Six of you can take one home from here and put it in a little vase or in my case, glass of water, not a lot of vases in my rustic cabin. and see what you can see. I saw a lot. I didn't have much else to do, but I saw a lot in that daffodil. So presence. We're all one year closer to death. We are now 54 minutes closer to death than when I started the talk. Congratulations, everybody. Well done. Well done. So that's 54 minutes gone. Never again. What do you want to do today? What are some things that maybe you'd like to reduce a little bit today? Do a little less of something that might be neutral or pleasant, but not all that helpful. And maybe do a little more of something. Something, and here's the rub, something that we inherently incorrectly believe we'll have time for later. Right? We so much live our lives assuming we'll have time for that later. I hope we all do, beautiful beings. I hope we all have 100 healthy years. So for some of us, that's fewer decades yet to go. And for some of you, quite a lot of decades yet to go. But I don't know, and you don't know. So back to the thought experiment. We've each got 365 days. We're all going to die on April 9th, 2023. Painlessly, instantly, and with grace. What do you want these days, these moments, these seconds to be like? One of the roots of suffering, one of the roots of sadness, loss, loneliness, despair, confusion, anger, irritation. One of the roots of hurt is we're not living enough. Even if we have really beautiful, exciting lives, we do wonderful things, interesting things, positive things spend time with good people, doing interesting things. doesn't mean you should stop kayaking and painting and working and uh, raising kids and uh, volunteering and being part of your community. I'm not saying that. You don't have to go be a a monastic, a nun. It's not a bad idea for a while, though, because you get to really practice presence and not have many distractions, except for this, your mind. But each of us in our lives can make changes today, no matter how small. I'm going to only watch two episodes of my show a day instead of three or four. And in the three or four where I would have watched three or four episodes of my show, I'm going to go for a walk and look for a daffodil. Or I'm going to phone a friend and have a chat and uh, really hear what's going on in their life and share what's going on in mine. Or I'm going to bake a cake for someone. Or I'm going to meditate. Or read something uplifting, wholesome, and thought-provoking? And what if each and every one of us started our days the way I'm trying to many days now? Um, How do I want to live this day? What wholesome things can I do more of? What neutral or less helpful things can I do less of? Sometimes I will, so to speak, succeed sometimes i will not and that's okay cuz guess what if i'm lucky i wake up again tomorrow and i get to ask myself the same question how do i want to live today what wholesome things can i do more of and what neutral or unwholesome things can i maybe do less of it's a cliche and it shouldn't be but what if we lived each day like it's our last within reason it doesn't mean i don't have to pay my mortgage cuz it's my last day I mean, you know Dharma is not a foolish teaching, and that would be an unskillful act because it would be dishonest and unfair because you entered into an agreement with a bank to pay them. them. So obviously don't be silly here. But with good ethics, what would it be if I lived this day like my last? Maybe that means you'll have a much bigger piece of cake. I don't know. Again, don't be excessive. (laughs) So... The gift I want each of us to give ourselves today, whichever month you happen to celebrate your one year closer to death day, of uh, utilizing the, the, the pleasant circumstance of, of a birthday of uh, someone we care about is a major uh, hallmark of our community in the form of Neil who does the recordings and sets up along with Shelley and uh, Brenna and others. Just as an excuse to remember, time is passing. Time is passing. How often are we present? 1% of the time? 11% of the time? 44% of the time? I myself am not present all that often, which is why retreat is so valuable for this being and probably for everyone. To have an experience to slow down and practice presence with fewer distractions. You'll still find lots of distractions less. You're not on email. You're not paying bills. You're not talking to anyone. Uh, You're doing yourself. And maybe you're old dog. But there are fewer distractions, uh, which is both wonderful and very difficult at times for you to really say what's actually happening right now. That might be restlessness, stress, anxiety, wanting to run away from retreat. It might be joy, bliss, relaxation. It might be neither. But we don't do this because we're weird. Okay, maybe we're weird if you define weird as outside of what is more typical. When I say do this, I mean retreat from busyness and distraction and confusion. It's not really a retreat though, right? Because retreat means we go back from, we go back to. What we retreat from when we take a weekend, a week, 10 days, a month, three months, a year out of society to meditate, to practice Dharma, to contemplate, we pull back from our usual patterns, everybody. This is key. We pull back from our usual patterns, our habits. When you get up, uh, I was talking to someone this week. Who was it? Female person. Ah, a patient who's also a therapist. She said um, she's um, also a mindfulness practitioner and meditates some. And she says, you know, I used to get up and I was that girl. And she means up until about two months ago where she decided to make some changes. She's 48 or 49 years old. She said, I'd get up, I'd immediately put on CBC news, be listening to the news, be scurrying around, getting my lunch ready, uh, you know, doing all the things, letting the dog out and then flying off to work in kind of a tizzy and inundated with information. Now she's changed her work life to have it more under her own control. She's starting her work day at 10 instead of 8.30 and she has a morning routine. She does a bit of meditation, she does some yoga, She makes herself a green juice. She never turns on CBC News. She checks the news later in the day. And she says it's made a tremendous difference to how she feels in the day. She's also noticed, she says, the mornings I skip meditation. She does a breath meditation. I'm not sure for how long. I would think between 10 and 30 minutes. Nothing, you know, undoable. She says, on the days I skip meditation, I do notice I'm a little more rattled by things that rattle me, and I tend to fall more easily back into my old patterns. If you want to reprogram patterns, you need to do what? Practice new patterns. So there's another bit of homework. Really look carefully at how you start your day. Say the first 30 minutes of your day. Really look at I would put forward, don't look at your phone in the first 30 minutes, unless you need to because you've got a sick friend or someone who, you know, you need to check your texts to see how things have been overnight. That's different. Maybe put on a bit of music if, you, if, you, if that would be nice. 30 minutes, brew yourself a beautiful cup of something or have a nibble or have an extra long shower or a bath or go look for a daffodil. See what difference it might make if you take 30 minutes. 10 minutes, if that's all you can manage. Maybe you've got three young kids to get ready for school. You're like, 30 minutes in your dream, Cheryl Fraser. Fair. Take five, if you can. Take 10 to just break the pattern. I'm almost finished. But I noticed, and it surprised me because many of you have known me a long time. No, I'm not a news person. I'm not a social media person. It's fine if you are, providing you don't dump it in your brain the second you wake up. Just... Um, work with it to make it skillful instead of unskillful. But because I, um, for various professional and personal reasons, it was helpful for me, like almost all of you, to have some idea of what was happening with COVID in BC, what any new restrictions were or things to know. I got into the habit, I sort of slid into the habit maybe five, six, seven months ago without really realizing I was doing it of checking my phone in the morning and checking the the news on the phone because often because if I don't look at that much news, what would come up would be kind of the COVID report for British Columbia, and then I'd kind of look at something else and look at something else. That's so far from what my interests are and, and what I did before. But it started to, without me being mindful, without me being present, it became a habit. I'd get up, kettle would be on, I'd look at my phone. I found myself reading like. Kourtney Kardashian's dating, I don't know who. I don't even know what a Kardashian really is. But, so I would look at the relevant thing. What are the COVID uh, experience in BC? And do I need to adjust how I mask up with my patients today? And then it would be something else. And then it would be a Kardashian something. And I clicked on some of them. This is shameful. We're editing this out. (laughs) Neil, edit this out. They're going to strip me of my robe. Because that is the nature of the mind. The mind likes objects. It likes this object. And this might be an object you've actually chosen that is important to you. But then there's another object. You're not that interested, but it piques a little bit of curiosity. And you look at that, and then you're down the rabbit hole. So about a month ago, I, I thought, what the heck has happened? I'm getting up in the morning, kettle's on, and I'm looking at my phone to check maybe one relevant thing. I check the weather, and then I'm like looking at something that, honest to goodness, is not helping me awaken. It's not helping me be kinder, more compassionate. It's not necessarily doing anything bad necessarily. You have to figure that out for yourself. So uh, it was very uh, nice to be not doing that for a month, which is my more typical. And now I'm like. Now I get up and I have presents. I do uh, aspiration prayer. I um, have tea or coffee with my partner. We talk. We meditate a little. I've changed the mornings. As though I only have today to live. So we are now 65 minutes closer to death than when we began today. And I'll bring this to a close. And uh, what we'll do is we'll sit for two or three minutes. Then I'll ring the bell. Then I'll do a dedication, and then uh, we'll give a few little announcements, and then, as promised, we will have cake. Presents cake, special cake, cake baked with love. Close as is traditional, with a dedication of the merit, that means we gather the good intentions, the thoughtfulness, any uh, wisdoms that have been shared, our own um, willingness to spend our morning uh, exploring the mind. And we share it not just for our own benefit, which is important, but for all people's benefits, those close and those far, and those we know and those we don't know. By the merit of this strengthening activity of meditation, sharing the dharma... May we lessen and eventually cease the defilements of clinging, of greed, of aversion, of anger and distrust, and of confusion and bewilderment. May we live as though it's our last moment, more compassion and more wisdom, less nonsense, less distraction. May all beings be well. May all beings be happy. May all beings be free from suffering in body and mind. May all beings practice equanimity, bringing equal compassion and kindness to all those we care about and those we find challenging. All equal, all the same. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sex, Love, and Elephants. But most of all... Thank you for being part of this herd. If you enjoyed listening, please share this with a friend. And if you haven't already, I would love, love, love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show on your podcast player because it really helps all the other elephants find us. If you have any questions or comments or maybe an idea for the show where you'd like to be a guest, reach out to me directly at drsherylfraser.com, where you can also sign up for weekly Love Bites, science-based tips for creating love love and passion that last a lifetime.